I'm John Ader. I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. And I've been sober since August 1984. Uh, I celebrated 38 years on Monday, and, and it still shocks me that I'm here. After all these years, I get up each each anniversary, and I think, I'm still here. That wasn't my plan. Uh, and it's always good to be in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was, I was fortunate. I, uh, uh, when I sobered up, um, the people in my home group, suburban group in Austin, there were a lot of old timers that had sobered up in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. And it was before treatment centers. And uh, treatment centers hadn't hit Austin at that point. Insurance companies wouldn't pay. Uh, within about five years, that all changed. So I was fortunate. I was, uh, uh, I got the treatment <laughs> that the old timers uh, who had gotten sober in that period, uh, that's how I was treated. I was, uh, there was one girl who was younger than me. I was 31 years old. And there was this girl who was 29, and they were like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you guys are all young. And now I go in a meeting in you know, 19, 20, 21. Not a big deal. But I was really fortunate that, that, that I, I learned from the people in Alcoholics Anonymous who had sobered up using the book uh, that – you know, this is a choice. You, you, if you want to learn to live without alcohol, that's what Alcoholics Anonymous is for. We don't get you sober. Uh, and it's very clear in the book. Uh, uh, Silkworth writes about the, compl the, uh, the uh, complete psychic change. And I was at a meeting last night, and I was very fortunate. It was, and most of the kids that, that talked were young. Uh, you know, in their early 30s or late 20s. And the speaker said, so what was your moment of clarity? And I listened to these kids and every one of them had had the experience that I had. Mine was I was driving to work one day. I knew about alcoholics, Anonymous, hadn't been, didn't know anybody. I was driving to work one day. And I, I never had a problem quitting. I quit thousands of times. And as I was driving from the ranch into Austin, uh, I said out loud, I need help. Now, the night before, I, could, I, 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 I couldn't stop drinking enough. There wasn't enough. And from that moment on, it was gone. That overwhelming desire, need. Um, how do I put it? That 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 obsession was gone, and it hasn't come back since. Now I've thought about it, and, and I I will guarantee you, if if an alcoholic is really honest. We think about it from time to time. I think, ah, just wonder. And it comes flying through my head. 
I remember the old time would say, it's the first drink that gets you drunk. And I said, no, it's about 10. <laughs> I was early on. And I didn't understand how the obsession would build from there. And so um, every now and then I have, I have a, I was, uh, I, I still have alcoholic thinking. 38 years sober. Hate to tell you. I asked Doris Carter one time, I said, when will this stop? She said, honey, when they shovel the dirt on the coffin. And she's right. I was sitting at a, a pizza place down here called Oz down on uh, Castro with uh, a friend of mine. We were having dinner one night. We were eating pizza one night. And when you walk in, there are two tables on either side of the front door for people who want to eat outside. Now, there were two couples sitting there. And uh, uh, um, Justin and I walked in. We sat out. We got our pizza. We were sitting there, and both couples had wine. And uh, as we're looking out the door, the couple on the right gets up and leaves. And there's about this much wine in each glass. Well, it's very good. About this much wine in it. I don't know about you, but that pisses me off, right? Every time. And I thought, oh. And so uh, uh, um, I, uh, I, I looked at Justin. He said, I know. Well, the guy sitting at the table across the way and his wife, he looks around and she nods her head. And he goes over and he gets both glasses and empties them there. And I'm like, that's it. Uh, I'm having a little technical stuff. My headphones are about to quit. So I'm going to switch over. So that, you know, what, what that told me uh, is that that is, that's me. I'm an alcoholic. It's always there. It's always in the back of my mind. It's not anywhere. Uh, and uh, let's see if this works. Uh, one more. Hold on. Where is it? Can you hear me? Yes, we can yeah. hear you. Okay, cool. Let me get rid of this. I forgot to talk today. Good alcoholic. Uh, so. They go over, he goes over and gets the line for the next class, and I thought, he's my hero. You know, because he left alcohol on this table. How can you do that? That's alcoholic. That's the obsession that I've lived with my whole life. Uh, I'm not going to tell you the drunk log, because my drunk log is just like you. Different people, different places. Oh, now you're kind of garbled, John. Was uh, here in my car. Hold on. Now we can hear you. Perfect. Turns out you need you need your mic. You can hear me though. Yeah. Well, you're kind of garbled when you put the speakers down. If you're holding the speakers, I think we can hear you good. I can't hear you. Hold on. It's a night for technical difficulties, isn't it? You're okay. Just keep going. Let's see. Can you hear me now? Yes. You can hear me. I can't okay. hear you. 
So hold on, I'm going to mesh with this for a second and then we'll get back to this is alcoholism at work, right? I didn't charge the batteries. Oh, God, where is it? There it is. No. Anyway, uh, I. Uh, hold on. I'm getting a little bit of feedback from you over these headphones, but they're out of juice. So, and I can't seem to turn them off. There we go. Oh. Still hear me? All right. Good. When I get two thumbs up from David, I know I'm on the right track. So that was a demonstration of alcoholism. <laughs> Not prepared. Uh, so, you know, that meeting was, it was so interesting because these kids talked about that moment. And I've said this in meetings time and again, we do not get folks sober. You can come to Alcoholics Anonymous from now until the cows come home and we can't get you sober. It's that one moment. Uh, Dottie Shore in 1985 was the speaker at the state convention. And she said, it's a moment of grace, which is an undeserved, unearned, uh, uh, unexpected gift. And it's given to us, just given to us. One minute we can't stop drinking, the next minute we never want it again. And uh, our never, that obsession never returns. Uh, and that was my experience. And as I listened to these kids, each one of them had had that. They had that moment, whether you want to call it a moment of desperation, uh, a moment of clarity, uh, a moment of grace, whatever you want to call it, they had had that one second where their entire psyche changed and they didn't need to drink anymore. It was gone. Uh, and that's the miracle. And we don't do that here. I mean, we, we will walk with you through hell, uh, but we can't get you sober. An old timer told me a long time ago, he said, son, uh, there's nothing you can say that'll get me drunk. There's nothing you can say that'll get me sober. He said, that's between you and God. And we would be sitting around the table, the half measure table. Oh, God, we're going to save them all. And there'd be some kid sitting there. He's going, oh, my God, I want to drink. I want to drink. And we're going, oh, don't drink. We'll, you know, we'll walk in. And, uh, we'll help you. Needed to go to Al-Anon, which I did later. Um, and, and an old timer walked by and slapped $5 down on the table. And he'd say, hmm, I'll buy the first round. There's the door. Hit the door. When you're finished, get back, come back. And every time they grab that $5 and run out the door. And that was when I learned that until that moment comes, you can't really help them. Uh, that it's not our decision. It's not uh, the one that gets me is service keeps you sober. No, service keeps you busy. And it gets you involved in, in, in a group and you get to know people. But the, 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 beyond the steps, the, probably for me, the most important part of Alcoholics Anonymous is the fellowship. Because I need you. I'm an atheist. 
And I walk in the door and there's all this God stuff. Oh, no, no, no. But there was something there in that room the first time I walked in that I wanted. I didn't know what it was. Certainly wasn't God. It's, I didn't know what it was. But later and through the years, I've realized it was the energy that flowed in that room from each of you showing up and being there. And we talked that common language. I had run into people and just, you know, when I'm traveling, and never saw them before in my life. And, and I'll make some little deal and they'll look at me and they'll go, are you an AA? And the next thing I know, we're having a long conversation about sobriety. And we're best friends because we have the common language and the fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous is absolutely critical. My sponsor asked me early on, he said, are you going to fellowship? And I said, well, no, I haven't been invited. <laughs> My mother, God bless her, was a good Southern one. And if you weren't invited, you didn't go. And he started laughing. He said, they're not going to invite you. Just ask them where they're going to fellowship and go. And, and I felt kind of uncomfortable, but I went and I had so much fun. And we, you know, we wound up, um, uh, and you know, we did all kinds of crazy stuff. We, we went dancing at the bars. We went, we were, we did all the things that we had done drinking, but we did it sober. And then we go to somebody's house and eat supper. And, Talk about our sponsors. You know what that son of a bitch told me to do. So that was that was a very critical piece for me. The other one was that in three months' time, I worked all twelve steps three times, and I didn't know. You know, my sponsor said, okay, we'd finish, you know, we'd do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. And that's what he did. Three months. Now, what he was doing is that he was burning the 12 steps into my brain. Because I walk in and Dean says something that I don't like. Or we get into some little, you know, some little bah, 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 right? back and forth. And the first thing I think is, what is my part? I don't say, you know, that son of a bitch. Me, 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 me. The first thing is I think, what is my part? Because it's stuck in here. I don't get to blame you. I participate. What was my part? How do I clean that up? And so the 12 steps are ingrained in me. And, and, and somebody said, oh, you know, you have to. And third, I asked this kid the other day. He said, yeah, he said, I've been working. He said, I said, how long have you been sober? He said, four years. And I said, uh, what step are you on? He said, fourth. I said, oh, which is this the, like third or fourth one? No, my first one. And I thought, Jesus Christ, that's like having a, uh, having a, a bad tooth. And it hurts like hell, and you wait four years to pull it. You know, they knew that we had to have relief. 
And they hammer that into my head. And to this day, I know that the, one of the first things they told me was that there aren't any rules in Alcoholics Anonymous. There's not one single rule in that book. If you want what we have, do what we do. If you don't, the door is right over there. And when you get finished, come back. We'll be here. Uh, and it has served me so well throughout the years. Uh, I don't take on new ones very often. Every now and then, I'll probably take on one or two a year. And we do that. We go through the 12 steps and, you know, three times in, a, in three months. And by the time they hit the third month, they're, they're sponsoring people. Uh, and that's not a that's that's not a choice that they have. That's a requirement that I have, and I lay that out up front. I said, "This is what we're going to do." You don't like any part of that? Well, but so and so said I can sponsor for it. I said, "Admit, I'm not so and so." He's been here two years. He's been here three years. I've been here thirty eight. I'll take my experience over his any day, because I needed the relief. I was carrying around all this garbage, this guilt and this shame, and the, 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 the process of doing the steps that quickly in that short amount of time is I began to offload that stuff. Now, I will tell you, <laughs> I didn't offload it all. It is... Um, Laura, how much time do I have? I don't know. 20 minutes. I could go on all night. You, you said about 20 minutes. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, about 20 minutes. Um, I could listen to you all night. I'll tell you is that it serves me well. Uh, uh, some kid said to me the other day, God, 38 years sober, you must, uh, you know, and it's like, he said, you're a pillar in an I said, it's a crumbling pillar. I'm getting old. I saw my, when I went to see my grandson in Austin for the first time in, 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 in uh, June, uh, uh, I, I was talking to my son. My son is 25 years old. And we're talking about this. And I said, they're calling me a pillar. Now, he's an engineer. Okay, he's a civil engineer. He builds bridges, those flyover things that you drive across. He builds those. He designs those. And he said, what kind of pillar? <laughs> is it round or is it square? It was just like, oh, God, who knows? Anyway, uh, this has worked well for me uh, because I know I can feel it here when something's not right. I went to see my son, and we have always had a very, very close relationship. We're very emotionally and and spiritually, and we're almost telepathic. And I got there, and oh, here's this beautiful boy, baby boy, and. Um, You know, 
he wasn't paying. I realized after a couple of days, he wasn't paying any attention to me. And I realized that I was jealous of a one-year-old boy because I wasn't getting the attention from my son that, that always we had had that, that connection. And, and, I, and, and that was a result of Wayne pushing me through the steps the first three times. I didn't even think about him. I thought about me and I thought, what is it? Because he was kind of keeping me at a distance. And, and I had that thought as I sat there and I, I didn't have to write it down. I didn't, it was just, I went through the whole process. I went through an entire inventory process in about five minutes. And I'm going, okay, what is that? Well, I feel abandoned and I feel neglected and I don't feel loved. And I went through da 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 da. And I went, well, what is it that drives that? Well, you're not getting attention from your boy. He has a boy, and he's paying attention to him. And I went, oh, there it is. And I was fine after that. You know, it was like, you know, I, I realized that he had his. His priorities, and that is all the gift. That is probably the biggest gift that I got in Alcoholics Anonymous. Is I quit looking at you and I started looking at me. Oh, you know what he did to me? It's like, oh, you know, you showed up for it. You were a participant in that. I don't like that one. But we always participate. Um. And and so in that process, in that. In that short amount of time, it was, I don't know, an hour maybe that I sat and I thought about it. I even wrote a little about it, although it wasn't necessary, but, but I wrote it out and put it on paper. And, and it was, it was what has saved my life time after time after time. And when I say saved my life, I'm talking, it kept me out of the liquor store. It kept me away from the drug dealers. It kept me uh, out of the bars. Because if I didn't treat it, and I let the resentment build, I'd go, fuck you, and go to the bar. I'll show you. And I'd be drunk again. I... um. I can't tell you how what an incredible life I live. And I don't have a lot of money. That's not it. Somebody asked me not long ago, they said, How are you? I said, I'm at peace. And they looked at me and said, At peace. I said, Yeah, in here, I'm at peace. I'm, ha I'm happy most of the time. Not always. I still have the full range of emotions. Uh, do not get in the 10 item line. If you're over, uh, I just avoid the lines now. I learned that lesson. If you're over 70 and you're in the 10 item line and you've got a basket full of groceries, they're not going to tell you, Grandma, I'll go down there. <laughs> and, I did that one night. I thought, you're just going to stand here because you want to go slap that woman. <laughs> I thought, patience. You're going to have patience. 
They taught you patience in Alcoholics Anonymous. So I stood there and they checked out her stuff. And at the very end, she had not gotten out any money or any of that stuff. She gets out a coin purse. And she puts her cash down, counts each one. And then she gets out her coin purse and she starts taking out pennies and nickels and dimes and quarters. And I'm going, I'm going to kill this woman. I'm going to kill this woman. And, and it's like, I just, I had to laugh at myself. It's like, it's, you don't have anything to do after this. Anyway, why don't you just take a breath? <laughs> and that's what you gave me. I didn't slap her. You know, that's recovery. <laughs> oh, it's, it's been an amazing journey. Uh, after my first, I was about six months sober. And I walked in and Charles Anderson was uh, was standing there. And Charles had been sober, I don't know, 25. Charles Dottie was why. And I think Charles had been sober, I don't know, 20, 25 years. And I was about six months sober. And, and both of them were standing there. They're, they're just wonderful people. And both of them were standing there. And Charles looked at me and he said, I can't tell you how much you've changed. I was like, really? And Dottie said, oh, yeah. I said, how can you tell? And Charles said, when you walk in the door, your head is up. When you walked in the door, your head was down. And now your head is up. And that was an indication of how much I had changed in six months' time that I didn't even realize. Because this isn't about it's really not about just staying sober. It's about reaching inside and pulling out all the garbage that has separated us from everyone. I was talking to one of my sponsors. He's not long ago. He said, well, you know, I need to do some service work. I said, okay, good. The next time you go to the grocery store, open the door for someone. No, I'm talking about service. I said, that is service work. You carry what you learn out there. You be courteous to people. You help people. You do what you can that's put in front of you. This isn't about taking care of other alcoholics. We know how to do that. If you're in trouble, we'll be, you know, we'll be there in a heartbeat. This is about reaching out and carrying what you've learned in here out into the world. This is my sanctuary. I can come in here and be crazy as shit. And I'll start to tell the story and I'll look around the room and be like, ah. <laughs> and the only thing I have to do is ask for your help. The only thing I have to do is tell you what's really going on. And when I see it on your face, ask you what's really going on. I learned years ago that if I ask an alcoholic how they were and they said, okay, they weren't okay. I said, you know, this kid said this last night. He's a tall, good-looking boy. I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm okay. I said, you know, every alcoholic that's ever said that to me has something going on. And he started crying. Because he's struggling. But it's, it's that connection. <clears throat> my first meeting, I met my sponsor. 
and he and he took me through, through the first three steps in my first meeting at the first place, the first time I'd ever been in AA. And he said, how do you feel about a power grade? And he said, ah, I said, I don't like that guy. So he said, okay, good. He said, there were 100 plus people in that room today. As a group, were they more powerful than you are? Well, yeah. He said, there you go. That's power greater than yourself. And what I've learned is that's true. And that when I walk into a meeting, I'm not going to sit here and throw bullshit at you. I'm not going to tell you how wonderful my life is. And oh, it's been, those are the guys that scare me. They walk in and it's like they've been in Hunky Dory's Anonymous for the last 15 years. Drives me nuts because I know from my own experience and from working with thousands of alcoholics that there's something going on inside and they're not talking about it. And if they're not talking about it, they're either headed out the door or they're headed to stick a gun in their mouth and pull the trigger. And I've seen both. David's been here long enough. He knows. Any of who've been here any amount of time knows that's what happens. It's deadly. This is a deadly son of a bitch. And it's my responsibility to dig that stuff out so that I'm not one of them. And it's hard. You know, I didn't want to waste that stuff with my son. And so, and I'll finish that story. And I'll probably finish with this and then shut up. I, I did that work in, in a short span of time. And I waited. And I was there for two weeks, which was too long, by the way. <laughs> I planned to go to Dallas, but I never could get anybody. I, I don't know what was up with that bunch. That's the other thing. Tell Alcon, oh, oh, we want to see you when you're in town. You tell them you're in town. They're like, crickets. So um, <clears throat> toward the end of my visit, he said, can we talk? And I said, sure. And he said, I want to apologize. And I said, you don't owe me an apology. He said, I want to apologize. He said, I did not. He said, I was. He said, I, I, I couldn't do our relationships the way we always did. I said, I understand. And he said, do you? And I said, yeah. I could see it. So I sat down and did an inventory on this already two weeks ago. He said, you did? I said, of course I did. And I realized you have a young son and what you are doing and what Alice is doing is trying not to raise that boy in the household you found yourself in full of alcoholics and a crazy woman who was an alcoholic. And you don't want to repeat You do not, hold on. You do not want to... Um, see him you do not want to treat him the way you were treated he said but dad you were really good dad i said i know but there were circumstances that son and you know what those circumstances were that i was not the best dad in the world and so the fact that you and i can sit here and talk about this now and i said it's when you're ready and i told him that years ago when he got so no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Then he had a baby boy. And suddenly he understood. He said, I need to know what happened when I was a child. And I said, you ask anytime. 
and we'll talk. And see, that is the crux of being sober. This didn't, I mean, getting sober, being sober is easy. Living life sucks because it requires me to look inside and to find those things that still are part of who I don't want to be. And that's what I was doing with that boy. He is in therapy. He's talking about all this stuff, how it was when he was a kid. And from time to time, he surfaces and he said, I need to know about this. And I'll tell him. And I don't bring it up until he does. It's his journey, not mine. What I can tell you is I would not be sitting here today if it weren't for you. Uh, you showed me the way. Those old timers beat it into my head. If you want what we have, do what we do. And I've, lo I've watched lots of people <laughs> come in off the streets. I was having breakfast with this guy in Dallas. We always had breakfast each morning. We both went to Al-Anon. I've been, I've been a member of Al-Anon for 34 years. And, and thank God, that's a whole different story. But uh, we'd go to breakfast every Saturday morning after Alan on me. He's a really nice guy. And he was double winner as well. And we were talking one morning. And we'd been, you know, we always talk politics because I was working for a state representative. We'd talk politics and, and what was going on in the legislature and those type of things. And one morning it occurred to me, I said, you know, I don't even know what you do for a living. And he said, that's because I haven't told you. Okay. I said, do you mind? He said, no, not at all. He said, I'm the CEO of PepsiCo. You could knock me out of the bank, off that, off that uh, bank yet. You see, that's what happens, is we wind up in places we couldn't even imagine. With people that are just incredible. And that's that energy I'm talking about. And it comes to us because you helped me stay sober and you helped me dig this crap out so that I could become a better person. And you taught me that I have to take everything I learn in these rooms and I have to apply it when I walk out the door. That's my 12 step work. That's real 12-step work. This is my sanctuary. This, outside the door, is what you've taught me to do. I can't tell you how much fun it's been because <laughs> I got to talk. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really glad to be here. Thanks. I got to admit, this is uh, definitely a first for me. So bear with me if you can. <laughs> um, however, yeah, what it's like, um, I guess, thinking about it, it's taken me a long time to get to this point. And I don't exactly give myself enough credit, I started thinking, um, based on just how far I've come along. Because as maybe some of us know, like, 
I mean, I personally have just come from a way that I had got sick. I destroyed a lot of relationships. And it was heartbreaking in a lot of ways. Um, oh, and I, I apologize. Um, Dan, alcoholic. <laughs> I almost forgot that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, in, in those ways, um, I, I realize now, like I, I should probably just give myself a little bit more credit for the, the things that I come to accomplish, um, which for me, knocking myself, <laughs> it's not much but it kind of is like I've, I've, uh, I've realized that, you know, meeting up like-minded people and um, do these groups, uh, it, it's worth something. So in that way, it's, it's, it's very important uh, for me in my life personally. And um, I want to keep doing it. Um, my life is better for it. Um, yeah, it's just difficult to talk about sometimes, but it is what it is. Um, as far as how things are right now, they're better. I'm coming from a background where there's been a lot of um, a lot of hardship in my family, and you know, I, I look back on it, and yeah, it makes sense why I would fall into this crack in life. I I suppose. Um, however, you know, it just builds me up, and um, I can't say I'm grateful that it happened. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but it's nice, uh, that, you know, I can build off it, um, and I can grow from it. Um, so in that way, I feel myself a little bit fortunate. Mm. And that's just kind of how I feel about the whole thing. Um, you know, it's not something I would ever, I guess, want, but now that it happens, I can definitely say that it, it built my character and um, it made me a better person at the end of it. So in that way, it wasn't entirely a bad thing. So, yeah. Oof. What to talk about next? I'm not sure. <laughs> Sorry. First time. <clears throat> you're doing great. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> oh, you're fine. You're fine. Uh, I'm trying to see what else I can say about that. I'm a man of very short words 
yeah. Well, I guess in my personal life, um, I I kind of took the role and responsibility of being a caretaker. Um, so with my father kind of leaving the picture, <laughs> so to speak, um, I kind of had to take the role of being a take uh, caretaker with my mother and my my brother um, down here in San Francisco. And this was before everything was like really um, hard to live in. <laughs> um, what with the expenses and whatnot. So in those days, I kind of grew up thinking that eating bread rolls with I can't believe it's not butter was pretty normal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, so that's kind of the background I'm coming from. And it was difficult and it's still painful. Um, I think about it a lot, even now. And I'm, I'm really just glad that I was able to be there for my family when all of this was going on. Um, that's just a little bit about myself, uh, and you know, it's been, been better, but, um, it kind of gives me personally a little bit of insight because this is just one facet of many, many things that have shaped me throughout the years. And kind of, um, I guess, drove me down to the point of turning to alcohol. And that was difficult for me. Um, it's not something I wanted, but it's something that happened. And for better or for worse, it got me through very difficult times. But I mean, if we're honest, it's just not sustainable. <laughs> It's, it's horrible. Um, it, it cost me my relationship with my wife for 16 years. Um, it cost me my driving privileges, my job, basically everything. And it's it's difficult. Um, I'm trying to pick up the pieces now. But um, but yeah, that's that's uh, that's kind of where I'm at right now, and um, it's really hard to talk about. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I guess in the end. Things happen for a reason, maybe. 
but um, I definitely wouldn't want them to happen a second time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, in that sort of way, it's it's funny and a little bit ironic, but you know, life is better now that I realize like in sobriety, like even if it sucks sometimes, even if I'm a little depressed or bored or whatever, <laughs> it's it's a lot better. Like I can actually focus on the things that I love doing and try to be there for the people that I love. And that's important. It's really important. My, the pain is still there, but it's a good reminder of why not to go back to the things that I used to do, I suppose. But yeah, I think with that, I'm, I'm probably out of words to say. <laughs>